Uh, hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. Today, we are discussing a new Merck report offering a rapid review of research related to addressing student mental health as we return to school during COVID-19. Uh, with me today to discuss this report are its co-authors, Shanita Williams, who's a PhD student in Educational Leadership Policy and Justice, Jenna Furman, who's a PhD student in Educational Psychology, and Melissa Lee, who's a PhD candidate in Educational Leadership Policy and Justice. Uh, my name is David Naff. I'm the Assistant Director of Research and Evaluation for Merck and a co-author on the report, as well as the host of this podcast. Um, thank you all for joining me today. So some quick background here. The whole purpose of Merck is to conduct relevant research for school divisions throughout metropolitan Richmond. The spring of 2020 was obviously a pretty unprecedented experience. Relevant suddenly became this kind of moving target because schools were rapidly closing due to COVID-19, which raised a ton of new questions and priorities rapidly shifted. So we have these ongoing studies, but we knew that there are all these new needs for school divisions. And so we wanted to make sure that we were responding to that. It's been increasingly clear in our conversations with folks in our school divisions that one of the top priorities right now is just understanding student mental health. Like there's so much that's going on that students are having to, to take on as they're coming back into schools. And so based on that, we formed this team. There's a lot of interesting research out there, but very little of it's related directly to this because COVID is such an unprecedented experience. The World Health Organization has called for rapid reviews of research in response to what we're seeing right now with COVID-19. And so we've been looking at research that's related, especially to disasters. So like how did schools in uh, New Orleans respond to Hurricane Katrina? How did schools in New York respond to 9-11? Um, as well as there's some interesting literature related to, to quarantining and the experiences of that and the psychological effects of that. But we also did include some new research related to student mental health during COVID-19. Much of it's been international because um, other countries internationally were experiencing this before we were in America. So there is some research out there and it's coming out every day. But what we've done is we've organized research that gives us some insights about what students might be experiencing from a mental health standpoint when they return to school in any format this fall. Um, and we've put together this report that's now available on the Merck website. Um, it includes a review of research as well as different strategies and resources for meeting the mental health needs of students and educators during COVID-19. So after we give you this tour of the report, we definitely encourage you to go in and dig into it. And Melissa, why don't you get us started about sort of from a foundational level, why is it important to address the mental health needs of students in schools? And then what role does do school mental health professionals play like counselors, social workers, and psychologists? So schools are seen to be an appropriate place to address mental health needs of students in the aftermath of COVID-19 or as we're still dealing with COVID-19 because of its proximity to students and as a result to parents as well. And when we looked at the literature for natural disasters after 9-11, after Hurricane Katrina, we found that schools were most often the first to resume operations after a disaster or pandemic. And therefore, because of the fact that schools were often the first to regain interaction with students, it seemed appropriate for schools to be the ones to kind of make sure that students' mental health needs were met. 
And also there was, again, as I mentioned earlier, access to students meant it allowed proximity to parents. And so schools were able to provide information to keep parents updated on student mental health needs, um, give them some education on that. So it impacts not just the school, but community-wide as well. And it also allows for a more holistic approach to, to student mental health by involving the, the students' parents and families. And research also shows that majority of child health, mental health providers are school-based providers. Hmm. So naturally, it makes sense uh, for us to look at addressing the mental health needs of students from the school setting. And also schools and educators have the opportunity to reach out to students in a very neutral, safe setting where it allows schools to provide preventative care rather than reactionary care. Mm. And because it's neutral, it's non-stigmatizing, students would tend to be more receptive to to receiving this care. It really is important to note that everybody plays a part within the school. The teacher role is really more supportive in, in interventions and not the main actors. And that the, the, the main role really should be taken up by counselors, social workers, and psychologists mm-hmm. who put up, you know, take up the role of educating and training staff and teachers and strategies to address mental health within the school setting. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and part of the reason why we wrote this review is uh, we want to provide a resource for teachers who may end up getting called upon to, to do some of these mental health supports when it's it's typically part of the training for, like you were saying, school counselors, school social workers, and school psychologists. Um, Melissa, what are some of the challenges with providing mental health supports in schools? So within the schools, definitely there needs to be a consciousness about, you know, it's a balance between focusing on academics because so, so much of that conversation has taken place around the concept of children falling behind in school that when schools eventually reopen in whatever shape or form, there might be kind of a rush for students to kind of go back or for for schools to want students to to just go back to their usual routine. But, you know, in, in, in that process, we might forget or neglect the mental health needs of students. So um, when we consider the need to, to return the focus on academics, we definitely, it's definitely a balance, but also because, you know, it's, it's a school day, it's usually packed full of activities, interventions need to be short and targeted, so we don't Hmm. take too much away from the school day. There's also need to consider the availability of external mental health resources, even though schools take the role of providing preventative care, there may be um, a minority of cases that need to be referred to a third party or an external mental health provider. Hmm. But research also shows that in the aftermath of pandemics and natural disasters, there is a lack of external mental health providers, whether it is because there is you know, an increase in the needs of the community at large or providers relocating for various reasons. So there is a need to, for schools to consider that as well when implementing interventions. Hmm. There's also financial challenges, right? Um, additional funding may be needed to support these challenges. And also we need to consider providing a long-term resource because as we saw in, in the literature for this study, it's not a short-term issue. It's going to be a longer-term problem. So we need to consider having resources to provide that longer-term solution or interventions to this problem. 
There's also a need for schools to get buy-in from administrators and teachers. We kind of saw that coming up in the literature as well. And so definitely as recent memos from the state superintendents have shown, they have provided a need for excuse absences and the provision of mental health resources. And I think mm. those are really good first steps. Jenna, you're a former teacher and, and you've been digging into this research too. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I've just been thinking a lot of the teachers and all that they have been required to learn over the past six months as we all switch so quickly to virtual instruction. And so even those who are now returning to in-person instruction are still being required to learn new protocols. And the learning curve is just so steep for teachers right now. So I just found it really interesting that much of the research we read while writing this report, even outside of the COVID context, talked about teachers when they were asked to implement mental health things within their classroom, said that they didn't feel like they had the skills or they felt like they needed to stay in their lane and mental health wasn't part of that. Or teachers in the reports would say things that like they needed to focus on academics, like Melissa said, because of the lost time. But the research was equally pointed to the urgency around supporting mental health after COVID-19. And Melissa talked about buy-in, and I know that as a teacher, I've seen things come and go within schools bringing, districts bringing things in, and you think they're going to go away. But I think the research is pretty clear that schools right now need need that all-hands-on-deck approach, even though it may be difficult at first, because it may require additional professional development or time away from the academic-focused tasks during class. And so I think it's just fair to acknowledge that there's a challenge ahead in asking teachers to consider mental health because all those things take time and emotional energy. But I think the research definitely gives us enough reason to think that the long-term gains are worth figuring it out and Mm -hmm. overcoming those challenges. Right. Absolutely. I think uh, all hands on deck is a really good way to describe it. And um, as a former high school counselor, I can definitely attest to how much counselors are stretched thin in the work that they're doing already. And our report goes into some of the the ratios that counselors and school psychologists and school social workers have in terms of how many students are in their caseload. And we're, we're pretty far off the mark nationally as well as in Virginia. So it's definitely going to be an all hands on deck approach as students are coming back into schools. And Shanita, speaking of that, how might we expect COVID-19 to have impacted the mental health of students overall as they come back to schools? Yeah, I I think that's a really good point. When we're thinking about just how all, if well, nearly all students experience this quick shift in terms of just the disruption in schooling, there were periods of time that they experienced with quarantine and just really this uncertainty about the future in terms of not just with school, but just, you know, life in general, right? And so with COVID-19, I think it's really important that we think about the impact on students' emotional, physical, cognitive, and also their social well-being. And when we looked at this information, what, what came up was really that it's going to be important to be mindful that these emotional and behavior challenges that students are going to face are going to perhaps impact student performance and behavior. So we're talking about things such as the fear of actually contracting COVID-19 themselves or students being faced with a family member that has contracted the virus Hmm. and possibly even losing a family member or a friend to COVID-19. And all of these experiences are going to produce this wide range of mental health concerns. So we're talking about anxiety, depression, and in some instances, grief. 
The other consideration is that students may develop this trauma-related stress Hmm. and anxiety and depression, right? And so we're talking about disturbances, if you will, in experiencing a loss of sleep and appetite and problems with their social interactions. And all of this, you know, may manifest, right, in this form of separation anxiety or generalized anxiety or an externalization of behavior problems. So this acting out behavior that we may start to see that we perhaps had not seen before. Mm-hmm. Students may struggle with significant adjustments to their routines, such as the fact that schools are closed in its traditional sense, and also the idea of social distancing from friends and quarantine. All of these things may interfere with a student's sense of structure, predictability, and security. I think it's also important to note when we're talking about the impact of students with respect to mental health, there's, you know, aside from the actual stress related to the primary event, which for this instance would be COVID-19, there's going to be students who experience secondary stress. And these stressors are going to have these compounding negative impacts in addition to the already existing primary event. The impact of secondary stressors such as job loss, decreased work hours, a loss of social support, and even just their own caregivers' own mental and physical health may negatively affect a student's overall well-being. So those are going to be some important things to to consider. Right. And we did a lot of reading on student subgroups that might need particular mental health support when they return to school. What were some of the takeaways from that? Yeah, so with respect to, you know, Black and Latinx students, when we think about just the impact of COVID-19 on these groups, the high disproportionate hospitalization rate with Black and Latinx students, and also even American Indian people who have more than five times the hospitalization rate due to the virus. And there's this potentially exacerbating gap that exists with respect to the, just the mental health services. So we find that Black and Latinx students are um, in a position where community-based um, and mental health services still remain a lack of resources for them in their neighborhoods. And so we are hopeful that through the research that particularly in like high-poverty school districts and students who serve a disproportionate um, number of Black and Latinx students, that this information will be taken into context with with respect to being able to provide those services that are um, lacking in the community. But students living in poverty, so we're talking about low-income communities that may be more susceptible to the virus due to caregivers who are working hourly, where social distancing is a challenge, right? And then also there's just lack of access to quality health care. Then there are students with existing mental health challenges. And so these students may face an elevation in their already existing symptoms associated with their diagnoses. So you may see this intensification of internalizing or acting out behaviors. So a student who may seem disengaged in class, regardless of whether it's virtual or in person, or they may be disruptive. The other thing with for students with mental health challenges is this idea around these existing challenges with being able to self-regulate emotional responses and reactions and being, I guess, patient with students who have this struggle because, again, they're going to be working from a situation where they were already trying to manage these behaviors um, and challenges pre-COVID. 
students with physical health challenges, these students are more likely to experience secondary health problems and long-term psychological impacts from, from experiencing COVID-19. When we're talking about neurocognitive disabilities, for example, where students require this routine, which is critical in their daily functioning, we may see some increase in actual behavior, such as frustration and aggression. And even students who have a diagnosis of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, they may show an increased challenge with being able to attend to tasks or stay on task. And all of this may just be related to the loss of just structure that, that they had once been accustomed to, given face-to-face -face instruction in, in pre-COVID times. So in essence, both students with mental and physical challenges may experience elevated symptoms associated with their pre-existing conditions. Mm -hmm. The other group that I want to talk about is just students who are going to, you know, during this time who may have witnessed violence mm -hmm. and also have experienced abuse. And so what we've learned from the research is that there's been an increase in domestic violence rates during COVID-19. And so we're finding that students who are living in abusive homes who may have otherwise received some respite during the school day, they are now spending hours in a potentially dangerous environment. Mm -hmm. It also brings us to this fact of reducing contact with educators. So with students being face-to-face, -face, educators were in a unique position to be able to detect and report suspicions of abuse or neglect, mm -hmm. and that um, has diminished the other considerations with students who may have witnessed violence is that there's a stress that their caregivers, their families may um, be experiencing that may lead to heightened domestic violence. And so whatever their caregiver is experiencing themselves, the students are going to um, perhaps, uh, again, be the catch the brunt of, I, I guess I'll say, of those actions. The last group that I'll talk about is just students in the use of illegal substances. And so it's important for us to be mindful that students who were using substances or illegal substances pre-COVID time, they may be challenged with emotionally recovering and adjusting or readjusting in the wake of this event. And also being mindful that students who may not have been experimenting or using illegal substances may be turning to substances as a way um, of coping with just where we are with the um, with COVID-19. Mm -hmm. And so it's just important that educators recognize that all of these factors contribute to an increase in negative impl implications for these already vulnerable student groups. Right. Yeah. And Melissa, I know that your research focuses on issues related to equity. What are your thoughts on this? So I, you know, to me, I, I think of it as an issue of access. Um, mm. So whether it is access to mental health resources having an impact on just longer term um, access to opportunities and academic resources, as Shanita discussed earlier, low income and racially minoritized communities are more likely to be impacted by the effects of COVID-19. So I think it's more important now than ever to consider how there are disparities in access to resources between school districts and how this has an impact on students, how it has an impact on their mental health. And eventually, you know, because my focus is on, is on higher education, on undergraduate and graduate education, I always think about that in terms of longer term access. Hmm. And so to me, that was really, you know, kind of what, what I focus on when we think about how COVID-19 has an 
and impact on students, particularly from low-income and racially minoritized communities. Mm -hmm. um, we need to think about this in terms of schools and school districts. Like I said, a disparity or the likelihood of having disparities in access to mental health resources and how this aggravates existing inequity. Right. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of considerations we're going to have to make for special student groups, but also just students overall. And I know that this could be pretty overwhelming thing to consider as we come back to school. But our report also focused a lot on the practical strategies that emerged from the research that we reviewed, mm -hmm. um, as well as some, some links to specific resources. So uh, Jenna, can you talk us through some of the practical strategies for addressing the mental health needs of students during and after COVID-19? Yeah. So Melissa talked a little bit ago about how we need to think of these impacts the impacts on students as both short-term and immediate as well as long-term and enduring. And so a lot of these strategies are things that teachers could do in their classrooms right away. And then the flip side of that is having patience that this is something that may affect classrooms for um, years to come. So one of the things that came out was that teachers are the ones who are going to be interacting with students on a daily basis. So although we've talked about how mental health needs also need to be addressed at the community and at the whole school level. Teachers need to be prepared with some specific practical strategies. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the ways to get those practical strategies is often through training. Um, and so some of the trainings that schools could offer or that teachers may seek out is um, how to identify children who may require additional support and then how to make those referrals when they identify those students. They might also look into tools and resources to help students with coping skills, so ways to promote those coping skills. And Shanita talked a minute ago about some of the challenging behaviors that might um, result from the last few months that students have spent and then moving forward. And so ways to handle those challenging behaviors in light of what the students are going through with COVID-19 and quarantine. And so just the general idea that the more the teachers are able to know about these things, the better they're able to support students, as well as the mental health professionals who are also supporting students. Mm -hmm. Another thing that came out was, I just think it's super hopeful that teachers are able to act as a protective factor by promoting feelings of security and identity and self-esteem and hope, um, that those things allow the teacher to decrease the feelings of stress that COVID-19 has caused in students through changes. Mm. So a few ways that teachers could do that is by establishing a daily school routine. And I know that this may be difficult and require some creativity in light of remote instruction and competing priorities, but it's just worth considering that the reinstitution or maybe creation of just a couple familiar roles and routines for a student could help a student cope. And previous research with students after disasters has certainly supported that. Another one is teachers could support students with emotional processing, um, maybe just through drawing or painting or drama or music, and help them talk about their emotional reactions to quarantine. Teachers can promote resilience just by teaching, modeling, reinforcing healthy coping skills. I think the research was interesting in talking about that in light of it needs to be culturally sensitive and it needs mm -hmm. to be developmentally appropriate, but ways to have self-management or heal relationships between peers as those behaviors come up, exercising, journaling, all those types of things. And so I think the last one that was kind of surprising to me, but was in a lot of the literature was about our need and our students' need for up-to-date and accurate information. 
and how information can lower feelings of distress. And so oftentimes that needs to happen at the classroom level. So if you're being required to wear a mask, you know, you, the teacher's job is to provide that information and not to feel like that's going to cause distress to the students, but the research supports this idea that you can do it in a developmentally appropriate way and you can do it with accurate information and it will help decrease levels of stress for students. And so one of the helpful things I think in the report is we link out to a lot of resources for different age groups mm -hmm. um, that might be helpful for parents or teachers or administrators to provide for how to talk with different age groups about COVID-19. Yeah, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting, but also really tricky to navigate that we learned from the literature was studies were showing that it is important to provide up-to-date information because intolerance to uncertainty can be associated with higher levels of, of mental distress. But there was also some studies that were measuring how often people interact with information about COVID-19 and people who routinely engage with COVID-19 information were also more stressed. <laughs> so it's like this balance of you have to make sure that you're sort of providing accurate information, but also taking it in doses for your own mental health. And speaking of that, what did we learn about the need to support mental health in educators during and after COVID-19? So, so many studies called for recognizing self-care as an integral part of supporting educators following a traumatic event. And I think we could all um, classify what we're going through in that category. And it seemed, you know, like a popular social media post, you know, like we all see like self-care, <laughs> um, but it was repeatedly mentioned in the literature. And so it, it makes sense. So when we think about all the changes of the past six months, they've increased stress, which then affects an educator's ability to do their job. And so then on top of that, you have students who are coming in with their own issues. And Shanita talked a second ago about, you know, the secondary stress, and so it's ongoing. And so then compassion fatigue happens mm -hmm. with educators. And that can occur when teachers are constantly trying to meet the mental health needs or um, mental health professionals are trying to meet the mental health needs of others without addressing their own. So attending to your own mental and emotional health is so very important. And that could be just in simple ways by encouraging your peers, um, your educator peers, when you see them going above and beyond or learning something new, when you see them addressing mental health needs, it could be debriefing and processing your personal experiences, or it may even be seeking out mental health services for yourself outside of the school day. And just how important that is to be able to do any of this well. Right. And Shanita, as a, a mental health professional yourself, what are your thoughts about this? Yeah, just something what Jenna just shared. When I think about what our report showed with respect to the the strategies, one of the thing that things that stands out is the idea of there being this acknowledgement that while we are going to have things in place for the immediate, that we want to be mindful of focusing on, or I guess being aware that there are going to be some long-term implications for students. And in the report, a lot of the strategies that we identify will help support localities, school divisions for the long-term implications, whereas students are gonna be developing or becoming or adjusting at different stages and we're going to find some students who just need things beyond that immediate three to six months or you know time frame. And so it's mm -hmm. not going to be unusual for a student to have long-term needs, particularly 
if they are they and their family are uh, dealing with issues around secondary stressors in addition to the primary issue with COVID-19 in general. And, and I think that the other thing that when we talk about the educators, right, and what they need, the research, as Jenna shared, really pointed to some key things. I think it's important that as educators, we go that one step beyond and we give uh, teachers and staff and faculty permission mm-hmm. and reassurance because although we will say it when we roll out for the new year, I think it's going to be something that, you know, teachers and staff and everyone in the building needs to hear continuously. It's okay um, if you need to tap out, if you will, if you become overwhelmed because as they say, you can't pour from an empty cup. And we want to make sure that we're giving students the best. And in order to give the best, we have to make sure that we have something within us to give. And so I think that with the strategies and also the focus that the report has on the importance of the mental health of educators um, will help us along with that. Right. Yeah. And we definitely hope that this report helps to, to fill people's cup and give you some really good practical strategies that you can use as you're working to address the mental health needs of students as they return to school in any format this fall. What would you say is your biggest takeaway from this report that you would like for schools to know as they reopen this fall in any capacity? So I think for me, it really is. And I think this, this you know, past summer has kind of shown that as a society, we seem to be, you know, it's either we're either dealing with COVID or we're dealing with like issues are racial injustice, but I think that when we reopen in the fall, whatever that looks like, it's not one or the other mm-hmm. while dealing with the effects of COVID um, for students, for teachers, and for schools, we still need to remember that you know, racial inequity is still a thing and how that intersects with um, COVID and how COVID, you know, might have it an impact on exacerbating racial inequities in schools. I think that's really important for us to consider as we go into the fall semester that I think has been kind of discussed, you know, in 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 the academic realm kind of in passing, but haven't it hasn't really been um, discussed in a more serious manner. And I think we need to kind of recognize that and bear in mind that those two can have, can interplay with each other as we kind of move forward in the fall semester. Melissa, I had a very similar idea that for me, equity, it just kept coming through, particularly when we started looking at vulnerable groups, the opportunities that schools have. And to try our best to, you know, to meet the needs of all students. And if nothing else, be able to um, refer them to community supports and, and, and other avenues. I think mine was, um, as a teacher, I felt like the needs often just felt too big to do anything about. Um, and then you throw in the word unprecedented, and it's easy to just feel like giving up. Um, but I found this report as we were writing it to just be heartening. And so Shanita, I guess I echo your hopefulness there that there are some practical steps that we can take. I think addressing the mental health needs of students is just gonna be so important in the months to come, but the schools have a real opportunity here to, to really shift that focus. And it's gonna take more than one or two professionals to make that happen. It's gonna take a systematic whole school approach that will encompass 
respecting this shift to focus on mental health more. And it may divert attention from our comfortable norm of academic performance a little bit. And it might, you know, make teachers step out of their comfort zones as we learn new ways to support students. But I just, I walked away feeling very hopeful. Like it's heartening that there are some steps and there's research to support that, that we can support our students in these ways. Right. And I think going back to the whole reason why this report exists is because school division leaders in our region recognize that student mental health is a priority right now. And I mean, the reopening guidance from the Virginia Department of Education references mental health dozens of times. And that report is being something that's really important for us to focus on right now. So I think that's my overall takeaway from this report is that this uh, this definitely needs to be a priority as we're coming back to school this fall, not just for students, but also for educators as they're taking care of themselves, because it's going to be a hard school year, just like 2020 was. But we hope that this report gives some some good insights and some helpful strategies. And there's so much more in there than we could actually describe in this episode. So we definitely encourage you to go and read that report, which is now available at the Merck website at merck.soe.vcu.edu slash reports. That's merc.soe.vcu.edu slash reports. Uh, We've also included a direct link to the report on SoundCloud and on our Twitter and Facebook accounts. We hope this proves to be a resource for educators everywhere as we reopen schools in any capacity this fall. Uh, If you'd like to stay up to date with research, resources, and profiles of best practices in the time of COVID, you can check out the Merck website at merck.soe.vcu.edu slash projects. You can also listen to other episodes of Abstract on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Subscribe on any of these platforms to stay connected with our ongoing conversations. Uh, Thanks, as always, to the VCU School of Education for supporting the work that we do at Merck. And to all of our member school divisions, Chesterfield, Goochland, Hanover, Henrico, Petersburg, Powhatan, and Richmond Public Schools. My thanks to Jenna Furman, Melissa Lee, and Shanita Williams for speaking with me today and for your work on developing this report about supporting student mental health during and after COVID-19. Finally, thanks to you at home for listening. We hope that you and all who are important to you are well. This has been another episode of Abstract, the podcast of the Metropolitan Educational Research Consortium in the School of Education at Virginia Commonwealth University, where we explore issues and ideas in public PK-12 education. Let's talk again soon.